Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now translating High Valyrian. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. ANS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're going to be breaking down the second episode of She-Hulk. We'll also be reviewing the premiere episode of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, and Orphan First Kill. Plus, we're talking AEW's world title unification match between Jon Moxley and CM Punk. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. Alright, up first, the soap opera that is Warner Brothers Discoveries continues to unfold as we finally get confirmation that the sequel to The Batman is still happening. After reports of Matt Reeves' sequel to The Batman not being greenlit surface, Warner Bros. Discovery decided to sign Reeves to a multi-year contract as reported by Deadline. This deal, of course, goes beyond just Batman as Reeves and his production studio Six in Idaho will be giving first look rights with Warner Brothers hoping to push Reeves' work as a cornerstone for their company. On top of Batman 2 being in the works, this deal also confirmed that the Penguin and Arkham series are still going to be in development. I mean, I know this is all kind of up in the air, but I don't think this is any real big surprise. I mean, it looks like Warner Brothers discovered like the only thing they're really green lighting right now is like surefire hits. Mm-hmm. And after the success of the first film, it's like, why wouldn't you give Matt Reeves the ball to run with? And they definitely don't need any more bad press with them canceling the Batman. Oh, I can't imagine <laughs> the outrage, especially with all the drama surrounding, you know, the cancellation of Batgirl. So, I mean, we've heard multiple stories this week that just sound freaking horrible like the directors now being completely locked out of seeing the footage ever again i mean i can't imagine working on something for that long and then it just you know being gone and like you know Mm. hidden away from you it's getting more and more apparent that warner brothers discovery does not give a fuck about your feelings no (laughs) and as evidence we've got our next story apparently bruce timms and jj abrams batman the cape crusader animated series has now been canceled at hbo max in a list of newly canceled animation projects from you know the gumball movie to a looney tunes film we also learned from tv line that batman the caped crusader is also being shelved by Warner brothers discovery The show was going to be a reimagining of the classic Batman the Animated Series, bringing back Bruce Timms to the project, and would have had Bruce Timms working with Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams as well. So uh, as dire as all this sounds, apparently they're going to still shop the project around to other streaming outlets. And I could see that happening with a lot of their like straight to HBO Max projects because it sounds like they're trying to get the most equity out of their IP at this point. I mean, regardless, it's still disappointing, especially if it delays, you know, the release of the series because I was I was really looking forward to this. (laughs) I mean, I'm still surprised that like they're not wanting to put anything towards their next service, whatever they do when they combine HBO Max and Discovery fully. But 
I, you know, they have to have some type of plan, I guess, in the future. I just don't know what kind of content they would want to put on that after getting rid of all of your content at this point. Yeah, I mean, we still don't have really a clear vision of exactly what that streaming service is going to look like at this mm -hmm. point. And honestly, who the hell knows if they know? Because I, it just seems like just a dumpster fire <laughs> over uh -huh. there at Warner Brothers. Uh to that point, our next story is about how the sequels to Aquaman and Shazam have both been delayed. Again! The Shazam sequel, Fury of the Gods, which was slated for December 21st of this year, is now coming out March 17th, 2023. Director David F. Sandberg on Twitter reminded fans that it's coming out three months before its actual original date that was announced early this year and pretty much asked people to be patient, but he also then stated, you know, he believes the move was because of Cam of James Cameron's, you know, Avatar The Way of Water, which has already booked up a lot of the, you know, IMAX screens. But on top of that, we also had reports from Deadline that Aquaman 2 is moving from its March release to now Christmas of 2023. So now I had a sneaking suspicion that this was gonna happen after that press conference where they said that, you know, you know, we've seen all these movies that are, you know, on our release schedule for DC, and we feel like we can make them even better. I was like, uh -huh. oh, okay, so you're going to start to tinker. But there's also a report out there that the reason why Aquaman and Shazam are being delayed is because of financial troubles for Warner Brothers. Um, okay. Right? <laughs> it's like, why the fuck did Discovery even buy Warner Brothers if they didn't have the fucking money for it. So, and I don't know if they were just caught off guard by, you know, their, you know, uh, Warner Brothers financial situation somehow, but that doesn't make any sense. And I'm just going to go ahead and actually read the uh, story from Boris Kitt, a writer from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, he said that the moves underscore what a financial mess Warner Brothers Discovery is, as the studio has only enough cash to release two movies now to the end of this year, which are going to be Don't Worry Darling, which looks fantastic, and Black Adam. Uh, he later clarified that the company was also releasing a third movie, the low-budget comedy House Party in December. But regardless of that, Warner Brothers Discovery is underneath severe financial strain. Kit went on to say that a producer reached out to him to say that Warner Brothers Discovery has no money and no clues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, do we need to start a donation campaign for Warner Brothers right? Discovery? Like <laughs> Did they just not know what they were getting themselves into? Like, I don't understand how this could possibly have happened. Um, it's very strange. I'm sure there's more to this story. But in light of this report, it makes sense on why they're starting to kind of like farm out all their IP, like we were talking mm -hmm. about with uh, Batman Cape Crusader. Uh, they also, this past week, took a chunk of their Sesame Street episodes off the streaming service. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. So who the fuck knows it, what's happening? Uh, it definitely makes more sense though now. Like is, well, hearing a report like that, definitely. I, I imagine we'll see tons of people like Netflix getting more involved with Warner Brothers and stuff. Now. Yeah. I mean, if they're just back to leasing out all these shows mm -hmm. and everything, it is what it is. I mean, it was nice having them all underneath one collective roof. But at the end of the day, I'm just more concerned about them putting out high quality projects. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it sucks for those people who've been working 
on, you know, these series and films mm-hmm. that all of a sudden they're being blindsided like this. So, I mean, you're talking about years of people's lives, like investing into, you know, these different shows and shit. But I guess that's Hollywood. Well, yeah, I mean, it's such an established name. You don't expect this type of stuff to happen, you know, well, especially when your project's pretty much done. Like, when, uh-huh. you know, whether it's a film or a series, like, holy shit. And then the fact that you're never going to see that footage again, I just can't imagine them not releasing like Batgirl somewhere down the line. Like once they kind of like figure out the lay of the land, if you will, and what's like feasible for the company. David, they can't even afford the storage right now. They might have just deleted it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the back of my mind, I'm even more like worried for AEW at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, they're about to like go into like contract negotiations with these guys and like they don't have a fucking penny to spare. So I can't no. imagine AEW getting any kind of like contract boost, um, you know, at the end of the day when it comes to their TV deal. So who knows what's going to happen on that front? I mean, unless they are able to like sign a shorter deal and hope for, you know, some growth in the future. But I'm just hoping that they have some interested like parties that are also going to come to the table when it, you know, it does become negotiation time. But uh, as we started to record, another DC story apparently just dropped. Uh, It looks like that they might have found their very own Kevin Foggy in the form of Lego Batman producer Dan Lin. The source for this is The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Apparently he's in talks currently. Uh, He would be reporting directly to Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav, um, bypassing Warner Brothers Pictures bosses um, Michael DeLuca and Pam Adby uh, and all the HBO Max executives. So he would just report directly to the top, which, I mean, is good news for him, at least. He's got a long list of producing credits that includes the Lego movie, the Lego movie 2, the second part, uh, the Lego Batman movie, (laughs) which is a fucking classic, uh, Lego Ninjago. Is that how you say that, Christian? Ninjago? Ah, Ninjago, yeah. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows. I like both those films. Uh, it's when's that the third one's still supposed to come out? <laughs> yeah, that was delayed during the pandemic. I have no idea uh-huh. what its status is, but I, I, I really enjoyed those films. So hopefully we do get an update on that soon. Uh, but also he did it and it chapter two. Uh, so, I mean, he's got a successful producing career. I don't know mm-hmm. what his connection to DC is. Like, is he a lifelong fan like Kevin Foggy? Hopefully that's the case, you know, so this is actually like a passion job for him. But, you know, only time will tell. They want to make that money. Just take your time, slowly release these things, and hopefully it builds back up. Quality over quantity. Yes. But anyway, moving over to the other side of the fence where it's been rather quiet lately, but I'm guessing they're probably gearing up for D23. Uh, There's a huge rumor that Marvel might have found their new Fantastic Four director. This rumor coming from the direct and Illuminati claims Matt Shakeman is being tapped to be the director of Fantastic Four, kicking off, you know, Marvel's phase six. For those unaware, John Watts, director of the recent Spider-Man trilogy, was originally on board to direct, but decided to step away. Shakeman, director and writer on WandaVision, 
Activision did a fantastic job with that series. And while that hasn't been confirmed by Marvel, I definitely would be, you know, down to see him take the job. But perhaps we'll learn more, you know, at D23. Yeah, I think we were talking about this off mic. I, that I was just really surprised that that he hasn't landed another like high uh, profile Marvel gig or even like Star Wars gig at this point because WandaVision was amazing like you said. I mean he definitely seems like a visionary like artist that you want to keep your hands on if possible. No and I feel like a lot of the writing in that show would work very well for the Fantastic Four. Yeah so hopefully this rumor is true and you know we get an official announcement at D23, which is rumored where we're supposed to be getting some like giant Fantastic Four news. So so moving on, The Boys Season 4 has found another Supernatural alumni to add to their cast. Supernatural star and Walking Dead villain Jeffrey Dean Morgan has been casted for The Boys Season 4, which just feels like a natural person to spar with our already packed cast of stars. Though we have no idea what role you know Jeffrey Dean Morgan will have just yet. Um, currently, Jeffrey is starring as Negan in the final season of The Walking Dead. I feel like they've been on the final season season of Walking Dead for about five years now. How is that show possibly still going on? They're just separating it into parts. I don't, I don't know why they decided Over to do it like this way. Over like a three year period? Yeah, it's insane. It's been three and parts, then, like, I believe. He's getting his own spinoff show, right? Like Walking Dead spinoff show? I, maybe. There's like four <laughs> like spinoff shows coming out of that series. I mean, AMC oh, is fucking milking that cash cow until it's fucking dry. Like, I don't even know what the <laughs> the ratings are like at this point. Like, is anyone still watching the show? I don't know. I, I hear people are, but I I don't hear anything about it anywhere, ever. Unless it's an ad from AMC. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> he's a great actor, so this is uh -huh. a great get for the boys. And I agree, he feels like a, a total fit, you know, for that show. Yes. So uh, we'll just have to see what role he's actually playing. But anyway, on the horror front, we got some surprising Halloween Ends news. Halloween Ends comes this year not only in theaters, but on Peacock as well, set to be released on the same day, October 14th. Laurie Strode herself, aka Jamie Lee Curtis, broke the news on Twitter. Yeah, I didn't see this coming. I mean, Halloween Kills had the same kind of release, you know, strategy, but that was during, like, the dark days of the pandemic. So uh -huh. I just kind of assumed that this was just get a straight theatrical release. But maybe unlike, you know, HBO Max, they saw the benefits of releasing it also on the streaming service. Or maybe they were scared after the critical reaction to Halloween Kills that it wouldn't necessarily do that well in the theaters. But I, I call bullshit on that because it's a Halloween film. So I feel like people mm -hmm. are going to go to the theaters to see a Halloween movie during Halloween season, regardless of its quality. And that includes me. So, <laughs> well, speaking of iconic horror franchises, uh, we have an update on the release date for Hellraiser. Also coming this year, Hellraiser dropped its first teaser with a release date for October 7th this year, giving us a small glimpse of Jamie Clayton as the new Hell Priest. And this, of course, is going to be streaming directly on Hulu. We talked about this last week where we kind of figured that you know, Hellraiser would get an October release, especially since mm -hmm. it just got like its rating. Usually that's a sure sign that the film's coming out soon. Uh, but I'm guessing that we should be getting a trailer like any moment now, right? 
probably tomorrow, right? <laughs> With our luck, yeah. Uh-huh. But up next, we also got a release date for the sequel to The Nun. Next year, we'll see the return of The Nun as Michael Chavez, director of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, takes over for the sequel, which is slated for September 8th, 2023. Blade Disgusting reported on the official plot synopsis being 1956, France, a priest is murdered in Evil is spreading. The sequel to the worldwide smash hit, The Nun, follows Sister Irene as she once again comes face to face with the demonic force Valak, the Demon Nun. Returning to this film is, of course, everyone's favorite Demon Valak, who was played by Bonnie Ahrens. I mean, while the first Nun wasn't great by any means, it wasn't bad. So I, I'll probably check this out in the theaters. I just haven't been a big fan of Michael Chavez's work so far in the Conjuring verse. So what else did he do? Did he? He did The Devil Made Me Do It and he did La Llorona. Oh, yeah. No. I, yeah. I, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, third time's a charm, right? But lastly, it looks like HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery snuck back into our news cycle again as we got an update on the upcoming Evil Dead sequel, Evil Dead Rise. The fifth Evil Dead film is making its way to theaters next year on April 21st, 2023, after originally being a straight to HBO Max. Max project. Evil Dead Rise will be directed by Lee Cronin, director of The Hole in the Ground and Ghost Train. Blade Disgusting has reported on Warner Brothers Discovery being pleased with its test screenings and that might be one of the reasons it got pushed for a theatrical release. Yeah, I mean, this makes sense. I'm sure, like we said before, they're going to want to get every last cent they can out of, mm -hmm. you know, this film. So why not release it in theaters? Uh, I'm super excited to see this film. Uh, the whole concept of Evil Dead in the City just sounds fantastic. So, I mean, bring it. Yeah, I honestly forgot about this one, so I am excited to see it come out next year. All right, Christian, it's time to smash. Let's go ahead and break down episode two of She-Hulk. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for She-Hulk ahead. You have been warned. The serum the government gave you caused your subsequent actions? I was a highly decorated soldier you know sent on a mission to take out a a threat and i thought uh, i thought i was the good guy you know now that very threat your cousin is held up as some kind of hero and i'm locked up in here the episode this week starts with the news reaction to what happened with, you know, Titania last week with a news anchor coming up, you know, with the moniker She-Hulk while doing interviews. We reconvene with Jen as she's confronted with the sudden attention of being a new hero. Going to a bar with her paralegal Nikki, she is convinced to give, you know, the patrons what they are, you know, there to see, which is She-Hulk in all her glory. Inside, Jen makes it clear she hates all this brand new attention and refuses to be considered a superhero when she worked so hard to become, you know, the lawyer she is today. But unfortunately, the job she's worked so hard to maintain comes to an end when her boss shows up and fires her because GLK and H were able to convince the judge to throw out the case after, you know, Jen saved all of the jury, you know, creating this conflict of interest, I guess. Yeah, just like that, Bruce got his I told you so moment, right? Exactly. But you know what I would do if I was She-Hulk? What is that, Christian? I would have just called them the fuck out online, right? Like I would have, you know, they unethical of them to fire me in a bar, let alone I just saved some lives and that's why I get fired. And they're discriminating against superpower beings. I like this angle. 
Exactly. <laughs> I think we've got a case. Um, I'm sure that's just the direction the show didn't want to go into, but you know, uh -huh. you're right, right? That's probably what realistically would actually happen. I like that right off the bat that Jen is kind of experiencing the downside of being, you know, this super powered being now. Um, instead of doing the typical like Hollywood thing of like getting these mm -hmm. powers and then just running around and flaunting them around town. It really goes to show what a driven character she is, that she sees these powers that a lot of people would see as, you know, a blessing as just a detriment because, you know, she's so focused on her dream of, you know, being a lawyer. After the title card, we find Jen spiraling through a sequence of rejections as her being able to hulk out doesn't seem to be a factor any legal institute wants to deal with and when we see jen go back to her house and you know she's with nikki and they're trying to you know distract themselves from their woes at this point the website she visits on her laptop had several little easter eggs with one of the articles on the side mentioning a man with metal claws in a bar fight which is most likely a reference to wolverine of course along with that we were actually given our first you know mention of what happened in eternals with the giant celestial sticking out of the ground also linked as an article so yeah Shut up, Internet. <laughs> That's pretty much what that moment was for, right? <laughs> uh -huh. We mentioned it. Are you happy? <laughs> uh, this was really cool getting your first like Wolverine Easter egg, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm sure there's going to be more of these to come here and there. I also really want to see what a pair of Iron Man 3s look like. And hopefully they actually become a real thing. I can actually see that. I could see Marvel doing that, like doing a deal with Nike or some shit like that. Honestly, they probably have already. We just don't know about uh -huh. it. So. <laughs> I am not a sneakerhead whatsoever. Obviously, I'm not either. I've been wearing Vans and Chucks for, you know, 30 some years, so right on <laughs> but if things couldn't get worse for jen she then had to face her family at a dinner with her parents and a couple other family members they kind of drill her with tons of hero questions and you know historical boasts about bruce banner's time as hulk all before her father finally pulls her away from the chaos of the dinner table i thought this was a fun little moment and i think her uncle asked a really good question like what actually does happen to hawkeye's arrows right i mean we know he can make more but he doesn't have Iron Man anymore to really do I it. I would love to see like a scene at the end of the series of Clint just walking around New York collecting uh -huh. arrows. <laughs> like him and Kate or something. Because I'm sure that shit's expensive. If not here, then maybe in like a season two of Hawkeye or something. I think too, this kind of really did a good job of setting up the tone of the show. That it's, you know, going to be pretty light and breezy. Because um, uh -huh. this definitely had a strong like sitcom feel to it. Uh, like no one was worried about their safety, you know, or a target being on Jen's back now that she's, you know, got powers, which I think is good to like kind of hedge people's like expectations. Because I know for us personally, we kind of had like tone issues with Miss Marvel, even though we both enjoyed the show. Just at times we we're kind of thrown off by its unevenness, whereas like She-Hulk is just kind of like doubling down on it being a comedy at this point. When asked if she is okay, Jen finally unloads her stress of being a Hulk, but her father grounds her a little bit, you know, claiming even through all that she's been through so far, she can still get back up and keep moving forward. On top of that, she's at least not, you know, brought a whole city down to the ground like Bruce has. That is a very good point. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not like, sure if her dad would be joking about death and destruction, because, you know, like, there must have been, like, a fatality toll there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
a ton uh -huh. of deaths. I, I guess that plays into what you were saying earlier, though. Like, the family's used to having a Hulk yeah. and around, so... Absolutely. After being consoled by her father, we find Jen at her favorite bar, where Holloway of JLK and H appear suddenly offering Jen a job, even though he was the cause of her losing her previous job with the DA. But it seems that Holloway was impressed by her ability to create a case against them, as well as her superhuman side, as we will soon learn. So this storyline is coming straight out of Dan Slott's run on She-Hulk, which I personally feel like is the closest thing that we've gotten to um, Burns' historic run. Um, so if you're interested, definitely go check that out. I think there's a, a QR code in the episode that'll bring you right to issue one. So. Oh, is there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, be, they do that every episode now, right? Yeah, they do that with like, every show of theirs now, too. At JOK and H, Holloway explains Jen's position there as they want She-Hulk to lead their superhuman law division, but more importantly, they want her to be the face of the division, forcing Jen to remain as She-Hulk while working there or be fired. And while the job comes with a big fancy office and her own division, Jen is still less than happy, you know, having to be a spectacle than just a lawyer. I thought this was a real nice character moment for Jen, where we get to see like she'd rather you know, be successful on her own merits than, you know, taking the easy route and have things just handed to her. Though she's got to be happy with getting a map to the best bathroom in the office. Oh, right? my like, God. That should be like you should get one at, like the first day of every new job. Right. Yes. <laughs> Dear Lord. Holloway then gives Jen her first client, and it's none other than the Abomination, aka Emil Bolonsky, who in Hulk's first outing with the MCU went a little crazy with power after being injected with super serum and tried to kill Bruce and more. While Jen clearly has familial ties with Bruce, Holloway again makes it a do or be fired situation for Jen as she is pushed forward to at least meeting with her new client. At Damage Control's Supermax prison that, you know, looks a little bit more secure here than it did in Miss Marvel, Jen goes through, you know, all the rigmarole of visiting with a dangerous criminal. Upon meeting Emil Bolonsky, he claims, you know, he is a changed man, even chooses to not turn into the abomination, or so he says. He wants to make peace with the world and live out on a farm provided by his seven pen pal soulmates. Jen's lawyer instincts seem to kick in here when, you know, Emil begins telling his story or, you know, his side of things about the conflict he had with the Hulk. He tells her, you know, that he thought he was really going to be the hero here when the U.S. government injected him with super serum and that he was simply following orders with his assault on Hulk. Now, I'm pretty sure he was a homicidal maniac before he got injected with the super soldier serum. <laughs> uh, but God bless Kevin Foggy for bringing Tim Roth back into the fold because I mm -hmm. just, I, I love him as an actor. Uh, no, Roth is so yes, good. Yes, absolutely. And it's just such a fun role, you know, for him to play. I have a feeling he's going to be really looking forward to like chewing the scenery, you know, as abomination. But anyway, I mean, he does have a good case. You would think that the government would have to be, you know, liable for some of his actions, regardless of his mental state before, you know, he took the injection. Because you'd have to figure that they'd have some clue of him being unstable, right? Like, did they not do like a psych like evaluation <laughs> before they chose him? And also, I'm going to assume like the super soldier serum that they used wasn't like FDA approved, so right uh -huh. <laughs> no way but i wanted to ask do, do, who do you think the seven pen pals are 
Or do you think it's just Wong and you know friends, or do you no, think, I think that he's actually women, alluding man. to something? <laughs> I don't think it's. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I think he's got a little cult thing going. You know, and we, you could kind uh, of get, you kind of get that just from the trailers. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, no, I, that that's what I'm assuming. I mean, well, here I am trying to like link it to like a, a superhero team, maybe even the Thunderbolts or something. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I I could be wrong, but there's been plenty of like high profile prisoners in the real world. I mean, there's even stories of prisoners marrying like pen pals in jail. You obviously don't watch enough true crime documentaries, Christian. No, I, I leave that all to my girlfriend and I move on. <laughs> Believing Emil, Jen then has a heart-to-heart -heart with Bruce, trying to explain that, you know, she will be helping one of his enemies get parole. But it turns out that Bruce is A-OK -okay with that during their phone conversation, as he claims, you know, the haiku and letter he received from Emil was enough to put their, you know, issues in the past. When Jen asks if Bruce is ever going to be coming back to LA, we pan out to find that Bruce is on the Sakarian ship from last week's episode. The haiku line was a nice touch. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, what a fucking huge moment. I mean, Bruce is heading back to Sakaar. I mean, are we going to get a Planet Hulk-like storyline? I'm not sure. I mean, it would fit to where we're going with the entire universe in general. But I, I don't, I, I don't they know. They did just introduce the concept of the Illuminati um, uh -huh. in their original comic book storyline. It's the Illuminati that tricks Bruce you know, onto the ship, uh, you know, and sh basically sends him out to Sakaar. And that's where we see him become this, like, ultimate gladiator who has to battle to survive. Um, and he ends up becoming the ultimate version of Hulk, basically. At first, like, he's literally, like, one of the weakest, you know, beings on the planet. Um, and then, you know, he ends up, you know, conquering the planet pretty much, uh, becoming, I believe, the king, uh, starting a family, and then, like, his ship blows up uh you know killing his pregnant wife now at the end of the day we do find out that it was the illuminati who did like shuttle him off into space but it wasn't them who tried to like actually like execute him with you know the bomb on the ship uh that was someone i believe on the planet i could be wrong though it's been a while since i've read the books uh but yeah no like i said it's a it's a really fun storyline uh that's worth checking out i don't foresee like this version of the Hulk really working in that story, but maybe they could kind of tailor it towards him or, you know, maybe we do end up getting like Savage Hulk again. I just don't know where this story would play out though, mm -hmm. because we know all the weird like legal entanglements with the Hulk as an IP for, um, you know, Marvel where they can't do like a Hulk film on their own. Like, they can do it where he's, like, part of, you know, the Marvel Universe in, like, you know, a team movie or something like that. But they can't just do, like, a solo Hulk project for some reason. So unless something's changed, I don't know exactly where we're headed with this storyline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I can't imagine who would pick up that story or who would join it out of nowhere. Maybe Doctor Strange, but I, I doubt it. I mean, it did feel like they're trying to do their own, like, MCU version in Thor Ragnarok. Um, mm -hmm. But that was more just a case of them kind of just harvesting different elements of that storyline. Um, so I wouldn't be opposed to like getting like a proper like Planet Hulk, you know, film or show at some point, because it does feel like that story and Hulk as a character deserves to get like big screen 
treatment. After getting disconnected from Bruce, Jen then gives Holloway a call to let him know, you know, she will be taking the case as she believes she has a winning strategy for it. But Holloway then tells her to check out the news in which reporters show footage of abomination from the underground fight that we saw in Shang-Chi having been leaked to the world somehow, showing that Emil might not be telling the full truth here, having escaped prison magically. And I don't believe this is actually footage from the Shang-Chi movie. I think this is just you know, footage from the Fight Club from the movie. I think it, this gotcha. scene actually takes place after Shang-Chi because time-wise, it only makes sense because we know at the end of Shang-Chi, we see Bruce in his human form with, you know, wearing the sling still. So I'm assuming after mm -hmm. Shang-Chi, the Fight Club kept on going and Wong and Abomination, you know, must have headed back to it. At least that's what would make sense timeline wise. But yeah, I am interested to see, you know, how she's going to work his parole at this point, if he's able to just escape prison whenever, <laughs> apparently. I mean, good on him for going back in, though, right? I mean, I guess so. I want to know the explanation for Wong, you know, breaking him out of prison on a regular basis to fight in this fight club. I'm telling you, man, it's just going to be a gambling <laughs> thing. He's got a really bad, it, like, gambling addiction. <laughs> uh -huh. I, don't, I don't need to see the dark side of Wong. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and you would think, like, he's the Sorcerer Supreme. So he, he's got to be able to hedge his odds a little, right? I, I guess, yeah, he can cheat. <laughs> I mean, if he can't do that, what's the point of the power? He was in the fight with Abomination, right? Yes, yeah, I believe so. So, so maybe it's a work. Maybe uh, they're you know working the books there. I, I don't know. Once again, like he's the Sorcerer <laughs> Supreme. God damn it! <laughs> there better be a better explanation than that. I'll be a little disappointed, Marvel. That's all they came up with. <laughs> So even though the episode was only 30 minutes long, I felt it was really well paced and we got a lot of story out of those 30 minutes. Again, though, I, I do feel like I would have appreciated this more if it came out with the first episode. I don't know. I, I might be just a spoiled kid at this point, you know, with how I can binge most shows. But I feel like I would enjoy all of this more if I could just watch it back to back. But that's just how I feel so far. Yeah, no, I, I get it. But yeah. I'm fine, you know, I, I didn't grow mm -hmm. up with Netflix, so I can handle like a weekly episodic show, um, <laughs> you know, and, and Disney Plus has definitely been training me to be more patient, you know, after mm -hmm. years like you of watching, you know, and binging Netflix shows. And we've talked about this before. It's just a smarter strategy for them because then their shows stay in the news cycle much longer than just dropping it all at once. Because half the time when that happens, the show's the talk of the town for about a week and then it just kind of disappears and everyone's just waiting for the next season. I'm going to guess next episode, we're going to get Wong introduced into the series, which, you know, I love myself a little Wong. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and like I said before, I, I want to know what the fuck is going on with this Fight Club shit. So. <laughs> uh -huh. But man, with how fast it feels like things have been going, I with nine episodes, I'm wondering like how, you know, how crazy does this story get by the end? I know it's not going to get too wild, but just... We've already seen just, Bruce on a spaceship heading back to Cigar, it looks like. Yeah, so, that's true. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. So, I mean, sky's uh -huh. the limit. And we know they're supposed to be introducing a lot of, like, C-list, you know, Marvel, like, heroes and villains. Um, that there's tons of cameos throughout the series. So, I mean, I don't know, man. There's a lot to look forward to here. I mean, when it comes to the scope of things, I don't know how much, you know, 
the She-Hulk show is going to play into the grand scheme of things when it comes to, you know, the overall, you know, MCU. Um, oh, yeah. But the fact that we're going to actually get to see Matt Murdock suited up as Daredevil, that alone is enough for me to be excited about this. And who knows? I mean, maybe we do get more, you know, Hulk on Sakaar. And fingers crossed, some Jeff Goldblum. Be interesting. I guess that would be a way to get around <laughs> the Hulk issue. If you just keep telling Bruce Banner stories within She-Hulk, like we just get a glimpse every once in a while. I know that would take yeah, away just, from it, but... Yeah, and I don't know how it would really connect to Jen's story then. Um, unless they just pull the book of Boba Fett and we just get a whole like standalone episode <laughs> with with just the Hulk. Uh-huh. <laughs> book of Boba Fett slash, you know, season 2.5 of The Mandalorian. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, join us next week as we break down episode three of She-Hulk. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey, you got Bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at Manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the Pattern High Performance Reduced Chafing Manscaped Boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. All right, Christian, you got a review for us? That's right. I'm going to be giving you guys my thoughts on the first episode of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for House of the Dragon ahead. You have been warned. Rhaenyra's succession will be challenged. Knives will come out. You are the king. Your duty is to take a new wife. I have decided to name a new heir. I'm your heir. War is afoot. Do you think the Ram will ever accept me as their queen? A woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. 
folks, House of the Dragon might be must watch TV with HBO getting 10 million viewers for its first episode. And like many who watched it, I enjoyed our return to Westeros as we're taken 170 years back before the events of the original series. And while I can say it might be, you know, just nostalgia for Game of Thrones Sundays, I do believe they brought viewers back in with a strong first episode with a promise of a growing conflict. In episode one, we are given some backstory to how we got here, you know, telling the story of how Viserys came to sit on the Iron Throne. Throughout this episode, we're introduced to our new cast, focusing heavily on Viserys' daughter Rhaenyra and his brother Daemon, who at the start of the show is next in line for the throne. Viserys, who's played by Patty um, Constantine, I think is how you say that, is desperate to have a son, but he and his queen have only been able to have one child successfully out of the six births that they've tried to have. Viserys not only wants to you know, pass on the throne to a natural born heir, but also he is kind of being pressured by society to produce this heir as well. We also see the ambitions of a somewhat tyrannical Damon as played by Matt Smith, along with his influence in King's Landing as he is the leader of the City Watch. It's clear by Viserys' counsel though that Damon's a bit, you know, reckless and maybe a little crazy here, as this is proven true when we see a brutal sequence of the City Watch dealing out justice to inspire fear. Rhaenyra as played by Millie Alcock in this episode and later Emma Darcy in the future is seeking more of a life of a, you know, adventurer or a knight. Her character really reminds me a lot of a mix between Arya Stark and Daenerys. Millie Alcock, you know, really shined in this first episode, though. It was very easy to like her character, you know, giving us viewers someone to root for as the story pushes her into the forefront of being next in line for the throne. The storytelling in this episode felt like those earlier seasons of Game of Thrones, and you could really see the ambition of the team to not only sell you on their take of the show, but reinvigorate Game of Thrones, you know, altogether. And you know what? Nothing really felt too derivative of the original series either. You could easily get a sense of the depth each character was going to have. You know, while characters like Damon may be hungry for power, this show will still very much be a family affair, leading to, you know, complex dynamics of choices being made out of love and hate rather than just, you know, I want to be king. So that you know, being their only motive. It's clear that, you know, these characters are related to one another and do have genuine concern and feelings for one another, even when they're doing actions that may harm them in the future. You could really get this sense of brotherly love, at least between Damon and Viserys, along with Damon showing a lot of care for Rhaenyra as well when we get into the darker moments of this episode. There's also a plethora of side characters that I'm not going to get into right now, but a lot of them come off as interesting characters who, as we see, you know, in the previous for the rest of the season will definitely be having some drastic changes in position on who they side with during the Civil War. But all in all, this genuinely felt like a solid return for Game of Thrones, and I'm interested in watching the Civil War of the Targaryen family develop each week. Uh, we will talk more in the future about some of the side characters and narratives at play here as the show continues, as I'm already invested in this series just off the first episode alone. And clearly so is HBO, as the second season just got greenlit right before this weekend's episode. So hopefully they can you know keep the momentum going in this series and stick the landing on like its predecessor. Well, all right, Damon, you watched a film this week? That's right, I saw Orphan First Kill. Warning, spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Orphan. First kill ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. 
I think something's going on with Esther. Is there anything you want to tell me about your time away? How's that possible? Four years ago, she was still drawing stick figures. Esther's behavior has been so erratic. Hello, Mommy. Thank you, Mommy. I know, Mommy. I did notice some inconsistencies. <clears throat> what are you getting at? To me, it felt like a performance. After orchestrating a brilliant escape from an Estonian psychiatric facility, Esther travels to America by impersonating the missing daughter of a wealthy family. This was directed by William Brent Bell and stars Isabel Furman. So Orphan First Kill is of course the prequel to the 2009 film Orphan, a film that took the exhausted evil kid horror subgenre and managed to freshen it up with strong performances and a real creative twist. While my fondness for that film has grown over time, I just couldn't imagine though the need for another movie. What could they possibly do once the cat's out of the bag with Esther's secret besides some unneeded copy and paste job? And how could the now 20-something Isabel Furman, who at 10 was amazing in the first film, how could she convincingly return to the role? Well, surprisingly, they pulled it off and delivered a template for prequels that the rest of the genre should follow. So after using some cutting and a whole lot of violence to escape a psychiatric facility, Esther comes to America impersonating the missing daughter of a well-off family in what feels like a bit of a retcon from the original film but I haven't watched it again to see if that's indeed the case. Now after that, I'll be honest, it's really hard to dive deeper into the plot without spoiling the entire film. But what I can say is instead of giving us the typical paint by number affair and just, you know, capitalizing on the film's cult status at this point, Orphan First Kill justifies its existence by giving us a twist on the story that really helped changes the stakes and is what I want from a prequel, meaning there has to be a new wrinkle to the journey that we're discovering for the first time or otherwise, what's the point? But with that being said, this revelation doesn't make the movie a masterpiece by any means. Uh, but that's fine, it doesn't need to be. One of First Kill's biggest strengths is it knows who it is. It leans into the camp of it all, and it's not scared to have a little fun. From the opening trope-laden scene, it establishes what kind of movie we're watching, and it succeeds in hitting all the right notes for horror fans. Isabel Furman is once again tremendous in the role of Esther, and with some obvious smoke and mirrors that are kind of hit or miss at times, it doesn't matter because you feel like you're somehow watching the character at the same age the last time we saw her. And I'll be honest, I questioned when I first saw the trailer why they chose not to recast her since the actress is now in her 20s, but after seeing the film, I couldn't imagine anyone else in this role. As an actress, she just has this ability to go from Shirley Temple to fucking Chucky in the blink of an eye. It's that balance that makes the character just so unsettling. I love the fact that they made the bold choice to tell the story through Esther's eyes this time around. So when she does have her back against the wall, you're strangely forced to start rooting for her. I love when a movie just challenges the moral core of its audience, and it's a choice that I feel like really paid off. While the first film is a cult classic, 
I could see first kill elevating Astrid to horror icon status, and rightfully so. So I know I've been extremely vague, but so much of this film revolves around a certain element, and I don't think it'd be fair to spoil it. Uh, but what I can say is Orphan First Kill is a fun, ridiculous joy ride for horror fans that you should check out. So I'm gonna give the film a B. You can go ahead and see it for yourself in theaters or now streaming on Paramount+. This week's episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional. I hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. And luckily with AG1, I've found a tropical flavored blend that I drink every single morning. Well, Christian, that's because with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging. You know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better, and that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and alertness. And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not alone in loving athletic greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit Athletic athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This past week gaming has been chock full of gameplay as Gamescom went on in Germany, giving us first looks and new looks at some of the most you know anticipated games for the next six months. This past Tuesday, we did live reactions to the opening night of Gamescom, which you can still see on our Twitch channel at the moment. During that event, some of the new IP that really caught my attention were, you know, Lies of P and Where Winds Meet. Lies of P being developed by NeoWiz and Round 8 Studios showed off a steampunk world with gameplay very similar to Bloodborne, as many are currently comparing the two. Though it's clear combat in Lies of P is a little bit more dynamic with a range of abilities at your disposal. In the game, you will be playing a super gothic version of Pinocchio and will be fighting creepy ass puppets and most likely dying to them a lot because this is very much a Souls-like game, which, you know, immediately gets me invested. The overall look and what we saw in gameplay showing off customizable weaponry and more really makes this title a standout amongst a lot of the Souls-like games that have been, you know, being produced lately. And I'm honestly down to give it a try. Uh, Lives of P will be available on everything but Switch next year. 
Where Winds Meet is another IP I hadn't even heard of uh, that you know caught my attention due to its style, looking very similar to Ghost of Tsushima, uh, but clearly with a lot more mythological powers and stuff going on in the game. Developers Everstone tout ultimate player freedom in interviews they had with IGN this past week, claiming the game will have you know a variety of identities and occupations for the player to learn and use that coincide with the martial arts society. One could become a doctor, proficient in healing medicines while another could become an architect and building in the world which is far beyond what i expected for this title as the gameplay showed off an already ambitious amount of combat abilities to begin with so we will keep an eye out on this game as development continues uh, this game currently has an estimated release in late 2023 but most likely it'll be 2024 if we're being honest with how things have been going on in the games industry we also got more awesome looking gameplay from High on Life and Callisto Protocol. High on Life showed off, you know, situational dialogue as the weapons continue to chat away during random encounters and boss battles that just looks like an absolutely hilarious and fun experience that I'm stoked I'll be able to play on Games Pass. But Callisto Protocol showed off that its monsters will mutate if you don't kill them fast enough, meaning I'm fucking screwed when I play this game. But you know, I haven't been this excited for a new horror game in a while, or at least I should say since Resident Evil 8. So you know this is gonna be a day one buy for me. Lastly, I wanted to briefly talk about the Forspoken 10 minutes of gameplay uh, that came out this week. Uh, this continues to be a title I go back and forth on because you know, the trend the traversal and the combat look super fun and great to look at, but the open world and the dialogue feel a bit phoned in. Like, especially this trailer more than, you know, the others that we've seen in the past, the voiceover work it just felt like I was there next to the main character in the booth, seeing them tired, not wanting to do the lines, you know, just putting it out there, getting that paycheck, you know? I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to gameplay. If it's, you know, as fun as it looks, then I'll probably be able to look past all of that. But I do worry about this game. Like, I get Anthem vibes here where it looks great, but will probably get dropped by players quickly. But I mean, you know, let us know what you think about all of this on social media. If you want to talk games, you can always hit me up at Amazing Nerd Live, where I post all the stream updates. Otherwise, check out at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media platforms. And make sure to check us out live on Twitch, where we talk and play the latest and greatest, along with some classic games every single week. Right now, we're playing Lollipop Chainsaw, Saints Row, and Horizon Zero Dawn, among several other games that I just keep adding to my already busy schedule. But with all that said, let's move on to wrestling. Moxley's got Punk hooked up again! Oh man, Punk is limp. The high angle! He's limp! Whoa. Oh, it's over! It's over! My God, it's over! Moxley dominates Punk! What the hell just happened? Moxley dominated! And undisputed! All right, so it's another Wednesday, so it's time to talk some AEW. We're only about 10 days away from All Out. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It, it just kind of snuck up on me this year for some reason, even though, you know, they're in Chicago where we're from, um, you know, and they're here pretty much all next week. Uh, but yeah, no, it just it feels like it came out of nowhere. So but I'm also I feel like it's still June. 
and you know we're, uh-huh. we're almost we're almost into September, so that's where well, it's almost I'm your at, season, my right? dude. It's it's spooky season uh-huh. for you. Getting close. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it becomes Halloween like once the first spirit store like opens its doors. Gotcha. So um, in my mind, it is Halloween season. But anyway, let's talk some AEW Dynamite. Oh well, to start off the show, we had Chris Jericho coming face to face with Daniel Garcia, trying to get him to apologize for what happened last week. Yeah, this was a very like WWE way to start off the show. Um, but I mean, it, it was it's a different kind of night with you know Punk and Moxley having their big match and everything, and so I think they had to kind of shuffle things around. Um, mm-hmm. And they wanted a big moment to kick off the show. And I mean, what a better way, you know, have the crowd singing along to Judas and, you know, having this face off between Jericho, Garcia and eventually, you know, Brian. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, for me, this was a little too soap opera ish. Um, I thought it was well done overall. Um, and I like the match that it's set up between Brian and Jericho at All Out, which we kind of saw coming. I just don't like that Garcia's not involved in it. Um, and I I just, I, I know a lot of people want Garcia to, you know, join the Black, you know, Pool Combat Club. But I, I know Jericho's penchant for long-form storytelling, so I feel like that's not going to be the case. Like, I feel like this is going to be one of those storylines that has legs and it's probably going to go for a couple months, which is fine. Um, but I don't know. I, I think part of my issue was I didn't feel like they gave enough depth to Jericho and Garcia's relationship. They've mentioned in the past how, you know, Jericho, when, you know, uh, Garcia had that horrific accident, you know, really like helped him up, helped him out like with his GoFundMe and got him back on his feet, no pun intended. Um, so I, I felt like they could have like added that wrinkle and that depth to the storyline. So it wasn't just like, oh, you were my mentor, you're my mentor, but he's my hero. And I don't know, it just wasn't clicking, you know, um, for me. So I'm excited for the match. I do wish that Garcia was somehow involved, and I don't know how you would do that. I don't know if it would be like a tag match or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what my issue was with this, Christian. <laughs> but it just didn't like click for me for some reason. So gotcha. I mean, it it felt like it ran a little long, and with him only stating like "you're my hero" and "you're my mentor" without putting in that depth of like "why are these people these things to mm. you," I I could see that you know becoming a little too much for that moment at least at least not adding enough to the storyline. I mean, they mentioned it before, so it is canon for their story. But I think Uh they should have emphasized it again here, you know, for everyone. Like, I thought Garcia did a great job delivering his lines. And I think he's rather good on the mic. Um, You know, I feel like he feels very natural and very unsports entertainer-like. Like, everything with, you know, he was, like, talking to the mic, but then he would put it down and say something off the mic to Jericho, which made it feel more real because he was like, well, I don't want people to hear what I'm saying to you almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did enjoy that aspect. I just wish what he was saying had a little more depth to it. Um, so I don't know. But I mean, we're getting Brian and Jericho out of this. So that's cool mm-hmm. to me. Um, and I'm I'm guessing eventually we'll see Jericho versus Garcia if they do choose to go that avenue. Um, 
but I guess we'll have to just wait and see exactly where they're headed with this. I also don't want too many people in the Blackpool Combat Club. Also, I feel like you've got like what you got: Claudio, Brian, Moxley, um, Yuta, Regal. Yeah, I think that's it because I don't, I don't, I don't, I know I don't personally count Kingston and like, no, uh, no, Proud and yeah, no, 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 like I don't count them either. So, um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it, I'm fine with like four or five guys. When you start adding too many people, then it's just like, okay, well, this is just like a dojo for like, <laughs> <laughs> like something you'd see in like mixed martial arts, and then it just kind of loses mm. its meaning. So, I mean, he is a fit and everything, but at the same time, he's a great opponent for them also. So you're kind of robbing yourself of all those fantastic matches that you could possibly get. Um, Not that like a Yuta, like Garcia tag team wouldn't be fantastic, but I mean, their tag team division is so crowded at this point anyway, you know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where it goes, I guess. Up next, we had a match between Jay Lethal and Dax Hardwood with Jay Lethal going over and then giving us a special announcement at the end. Yeah, thank God. So instead of uh, Jay Lethal teaming up with Sanjay Dutt and Sadman Singh uh, at the pay-per-view, we're going to see Jay Lethal teaming up with his, you know, good buddies, the Motor City Machine Guns. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of wish this was just like FTR versus the machine guns. Cause that is a bit of a dream match. I mean, back in the day, I mean, the machine guns were it like they were like, mm. you know, the best tag team in the world. Um, so it's kind of cool to think that we're getting this match and I'm sure eventually we'll get that like, you know, one-on-one team versus team match, uh, you know, somewhere down the line. Uh, but you know, I'm just happy because I was so annoyed with this, you know, trios matchup. Like I didn't, I don't need to see Dot Russell and, you know, Sotman, he just doesn't do anything for me yet. He hasn't showed me anything. So uh-huh. it just felt like a vehicle to have Wardlow like powerbomb him, which this still might actually be that <laughs> at the yeah, end of the day. I'm, I'm figuring that too. You know, um, I do feel like it's still kind of a waste of Wardlow. Instead of just, like, throwing him into this, like, you know, trios match, um, I would have much rather have him at least, like, defending the title against someone at All Out, mm-hmm. or even being part of the uh, the ladder match. What the hell's the name of the ladder match? I always forget. the. Ca- it's it's a casino ladder okay, match thing. whatever. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. At least, you know, <laughs> Lethal has a team that I feel like is competent, I'm excited to see. You know, to you know, go up against FTR. I have a feeling Singh and Dot will end up interfering, and you know, it'll end up pissing off uh, machine guns, and they'll end up like siding with FTR. Oh, okay. So, but well, then you get like a fun. rematch down the line, <laughs> maybe for like the ROH titles between like uh-huh. FTR and you know the the guns. So, and there's still no like update on a possible Ring of Honor show, right? Not that I know of. I haven't heard anything, mm-hmm. um, but. You know, they're, they're not afraid to have people defend those ROH titles on AEW TV. I mean, I think Claudio no. on Rampage, we're recording this on Wednesday, but uh, Claudio on Rampage defended his belts against um, against Goldust. Or hell, maybe this, you know, is some kind of like smoke and mirrors act to get FTR over on Impact and they could end up winning those uh, those tag titles too. You know, oh, you I have mean, to do some mental yeah. gymnastics. I'm not even sure who actually has the tag titles <laughs> over there. I don't think it's the guns. So, uh, but 
you know, why not, right? How many belts, though, can one team carry? Give them, give them all of them, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> but anyway, we didn't actually talk about the match. <laughs> How True. hard can Dax fucking chop someone? Holy shit. Like, it felt like he was going to go right through his chest. Like, I felt bad for Lethal during this match. <laughs> Honestly, I I was trying to remember the last time I saw Dax actually lose the match because we've been talking about how he probably is up for a singles title. He's, at he's this lost, point. though, on the way. You know, it's just he's had a lot of really good matches in losing. Uh-huh. So um, so it's not unheard of. It didn't stick out to me that he lost the match. And I'm gl- I think you have to get lethal over here and, you know, having yeah, him, exactly. you know, win, even though it was, you know, holding the tights. I'm fine with that. He's a heel. So, of course, he should cheat. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was a solid match for the amount of time that they got and everything. Um, you know, and I thought in the long run, it did a good job setting up, you know, the, the all out show. So in the long run too, I, I felt like it did a good job of setting up, you know, their match for all out. At least it wasn't just another fucking stupid backstage, you know, segment with, you know, Sanjay mm-hmm. waving his pencil around. Speaking of backstage segments, we had Thunder Rosa announcing that she is going to have to relinquish the AEW Women's World Championship due to injury. So, yeah, the rumor this week was that the championship match between Rosa and Tony Storm were, was going to turn into a four-way match with them adding Hater and Britt Baker to it. Uh, which I was all for. Um, it's unfortunate that Rosa's hurt. Um, it it does sound like it's a legitimate injury. Um, so they're going to name an interim champion in the you know for the time being. I don't know how long mm-hmm. Rosa's out for. Um, now, honestly, if this was announced before Moxley's run as interim, you know, champion, I would have groaned at the thought of another interim champion. You know, especially, you know, with what they did with Sammy and the TNT belt. Um, But I don't know, like Moxley has now like warmed me to the concept of an interim champion. Like, I feel like there's a good way to go about that. Um, As long as they have, you know, whoever wins that belt defending the title and they're treating them like the real champion. Um, I'm sold on the concept. I mean, they do it in mixed martial arts and boxing all the fucking time. And if she's going to be out for a significant amount, why not? You know, it's better than someone just dropping and vacating the title, you know. Mm. And if we're actually supposed to treat this like an actual sport uh, in storyline, that's what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, it only makes sense. They added also Sheeta to the match, which we haven't seen. You know, we haven't seen her in a long time. Um, Mm. So, I mean... Right before the summer even started. Like, I know she's been on Dark, but she was in Japan and they did that whole, like, injury angle without telling her. And then she like, <laughs> literally called them out on social media, like, saying, I'm not hurt. What are you what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it's glad to see her get back in, like, the title picture because, I mean, she deserves to be part of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she did like carry your women's title through the pandemic, so I'm glad she's being featured again. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- this this match should be interesting. You know, I mean, you got four like talented contenders. I could really see an argument for anyone in this match actually walking away with the belt. Um, I'm rooting for Storm, you know, or even Hater. I'm kind of torn between the two. Um, I definitely don't want to see Brit win that belt just because I'm exhausted of, you know, 
right with the belt. I could also see this as their way of kicking off like the storyline between Brit and Hater and finally getting that feud started. Like maybe Hater wins the belt. Um, Brit at first is excited for her and then like turns on her. And we get them like playing out the whole evolution storyline in front of our eyes, you know, where uh, when Randy won the title and, you know, they uh, Triple H pretended to be excited for him. And then gave him the thumbs down, right? <laughs> I don't think they'll go that far. But <laughs> you don't see Jamie Hader sitting on Rebel's uh, shoulders? <laughs> uh, no, not unless she falls over. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Uh, but I could see them, you know, uh, basically feuding over this. Or maybe neither of them win the title because they get into each other's way or something like that. And that's, you know, where the feud is kind of born out of. Uh, and then you could have, like, Tony Storm go on a run. With about until thunder mm. comes comes back and when she does come back i do hope it's kind of in a heel capacity like i want thunder to turn on Tony. yeah they need to do something to freshen up her character mm. a little so and enough of the backstage segments i'm not gonna go on a rant i swear but i like <laughs> it just makes the women's division feel less than having your champion announcing a big injury and the fact that she has to go on the shelf for a while and basically announcing this interim like title match for the pay-per-view like do this at least in front of the crowd you know AEW does way too many of these backstage interviews and segments for my taste and maybe they feel like you know some of the talent feel more comfortable you know doing the segments backstage and maybe they get nervous in front of the crowd or something like that because otherwise i don't understand why they do these like pre-tapes you know, um, you know, have them in front of the crowd. They mean more. They feel more important when you have it in front of the audience, you know, um, you know, especially for the women's division, you know, because the mm -hmm. women's division is already booked as less than the men's division. And these excessive backstage segments aren't helping the perception of the division. Like, I was just wondering if it was just because of what we got between, you know, uh, Serena Deeb and thunder rosa if they like were worried about that and that's why they keep putting all of thunder rosa's segments but in the back she's, but she's this... not going to get any better doing that mm -hmm. so I, I i understand what you're saying because i i do remember that that segment was kind of a cluster but that's not the answer to this you know i feel uh -huh. like we've seen thunder rosa backstage more than we've seen her in the ring since she's won that title you know standing next to tony shivani and that happened with brit too Right. Like we had, you know, all those backstage segments with Brit holding the belts with, you know, Hater and Rebel standing around. Um, I don't know, man. You know, I'm not, I, <laughs> we don't have enough time for me to start ranting about the women's uh -huh. division. So <laughs> I'll end it there. But Jesus Christ, they need to do something like drastically to like revitalize you know what they're doing on the women's scene in aw well to move forward we had some gun violence between colton and his father billy i see what you did there um uh-huh <laughs> this match wasn't great um i don't know if <laughs> billy was trying to play up you know being reluctant to face against his son this also felt strangely redundant because i thought the guns already like accepted uh stokely's offer yeah i thought that too i thought he showed up like backstage with them or something or at least he walked out 
well, the when they turned on Billy last week, yeah. I thought they took his card, right? I, yeah, didn't they all walk out yeah, together? Yeah, yes, at that's the what it was. <laughs> so I don't know why he got in the ring and gave him the card again. Like, it was just weird, right? Yeah, it was odd. But the, as you said about the match, it, it felt weird, especially knowing that they claimed were on the outside and not doing much to really help yeah. in the end, yeah. too. Yeah, I don't know about, like, I know everyone loves, you know, sister me daddy ass and everything but like i don't know the longevity of this like team uh-huh. up, um with the acclaimed so and then um you know after this match we had uh keith lee and swerve come out and make the save um which was just basically a way to set up the match between the acclaimed and you know swerve to our glory at the pay-per-view which should be a good match um do you feel like it's the right time to put the belts on the acclaimed? I mean, they're super over right now. I mean, I wish there was more for Swerve in our glory. Like, I wish there was a big feud or a big team that they could go up against. But everyone seems to be, you know, packed in with the yes. trios tournament and stuff like that. So it, it, it's just bad timing, probably. But I, I wouldn't mind seeing the acclaimed as champions. I have no issue with that. You know, they are way over with the crowd. And- I just I feel like it's so early on into, you know their title run though i mean they've had a decent amount of title matches but they've all been kind of forced they really haven't had that Mm. like you know highlight like program yet with another team um so it does feel a little too early to me but the claims they keep on getting these title matches and losing (laughs) so i don't know I don't know. And they're super over right now. Maybe we have a situation where Swerve does out of nowhere turn on Keith Lee. I mean, they haven't teased that in a while, so it would feel kind of random. But, I mean, they could use that as a way to justify getting the belts off of them and, you know, letting the acclaimed actually go on a little bit of a run. Um, And I'm guessing they'll probably jump right into a feud again with, you know, the Ass Boys, which blew that whole feud off with the dumpster match but i mean maybe they feel like there's still legs there rap battle barbed wire (laughs) death match all right no thank you that's what we're missing here after that we had a segment in the back with united empire and death triangle where while the empire is going after gold death triangle is going for murder yes We're not just going to kill you. We're going to murder you. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what that yes. means, Pac. <laughs> it sounds like the same thing. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. like his delivery is so good. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And then you're like, wait a second. Once you think about it, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I did think this was a fun little segment, really kind of setting up the main events of, you know, the show. Um, I did feel like they did a much better job to putting over osprey and making that feel like a big deal like him being you know at on aw because when they first initially like announced you know the empire being part of the trios tournament like they did it with a graphic they didn't even like make a big deal out of it i was like what the fuck <laughs> like i wouldn't be happy watching that like if i was in like the new japan's office i was like you gotta at least put our guys over if we're lending them out to you. So, but I mean, JR especially did a really good job putting over Osprey tonight. Up next, we had a hometown battle between Britt Baker and Kylene King with Britt Baker going over. They must be pretty high on King. I know she's like gotten a bunch of wins on Dark. I know I talked a little shit like two weeks ago questioning why King 
was facing off against Tony Storm because <laughs> it felt very random. But one, I thought she had a really good match with uh, Storm. Um, two, apparently she left AEW, went on the indies and, you know, got a lot more seasoning um, and kind of, you know, made a name for herself. So I guess that's why she's kind of getting this like mini push on AEW TV. Uh, she's got a bunch of wins on Dark, like I said, and then uh, she actually left Brit Lane on Dark. Uh, so they must see something in her, you know, mm. which, you know, I thought this was a fine match. Um, it was a little shorter than the match she had against Storm. I do think she'd make a good addition to the AEW roster. So I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have her underneath some kind of like tier contract or if they don't just straight up sign her. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, this was more just kind of getting some steam behind Brit, you know, before the pay-per-view, it seemed like. Exactly. I, I thought Britt was going to win the moment, you know, she came out. But I, like you said, um, with King, I feel like she has a very similar style to like Statlander when like she first came out. Mm -hmm. And I, I could definitely see a lot of potential in her. And I definitely think those two will be great opponents in the future. Well, yeah, as well. and Statlander is now on the shelf for like mm -hmm, nine months exactly. to a year. So there's definitely an opening in that women's division for, you know, her style of wrestling. So, I mean... Why not give her a shot? Uh, after the match, uh, Britt Baker had some words about Thunder Rosa. And, of course, this sparked um, Tony Storm coming out to attack. Uh, Tony Storm didn't, you know, survive against, you know, the onslaughts of Hater and Rebel and uh, Britt I, Baker. <laughs> I hate it when baby faces look stupid. Like, why would you run out headfirst into a beatdown <laughs> like this? They have the ring. They have the high ground. God damn it. <laughs> Haven't we learned anything? <laughs> um, it, it's all because we know that they're just writing in a way for Sheeta to make the save. Yeah, no, and that's... Obviously, Christian, but still, it makes your baby face look stupid. I At know. Least, I, I, just, I wish they would come up with something have new. Have come out now. with her, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, Sheeta came out to, like, no response from the crowd, which I understand because she hasn't been featured on TV for such a uh -huh. long time. Um if you would have had her and Storm come out, though, that wouldn't have been the case. Like, if you would have had them come out at the same time. So, I mean, whatever. I mean, I understand. Like, I guess they were trying to get the, you know, big baby face pop for Sheeta. But, but when you don't feature your talent enough, you're going to get responses like this. Which was, you know, mid at best. Sheeta should have cleared the ring like Undertaker, you know, once she hit it, too. Like, she should have actually got it physical with yes, someone. Yes, yes. Like, have them, like, fighting up the ramp and then have Sheeta come out and, like, you know, whack someone right away with the kendo stick. Uh -huh. You know, have her have that big moment to get her over again. Um, and freshen everyone's memories. Uh, up next, Swerve and Our Glory approach the Acclaim backstage, offering them a title shot. Um, at All Out. Yeah, Swerve in our glory are just handing out title shots left and right, right? <laughs> I like <Yep>. that. <laughs> I like that they're a, a fighting, you know, team. But yeah, I mean, it's like, all right, guys, yeah, think of your best interests, too. <laughs> Take the night off, right? <laughs> like I said, I, I do want to see the acclaimed eventually win those belts. It just feels too early to take them off Swerve in our glory. So in a move that first shocked me, uh, the AEW World Championship came up next. Uh, I thought that would be the main event. You know, you have your two biggest guys going at it. But obviously, you know, this match had a little bit of a, a different 
way of going about it, I guess. Yeah, this felt abrupt, but they they've had world title matches in the past, like at the top of the hour, either to start off the show or at the top of the second hour, just because of the 60 minute time limit. Uh, so I wasn't too thrown mm. off by that. Um, but the match itself, for that matter, yeah, totally blew my mind. This was not what I was expecting at all. Um, we didn't really talk about all the drama that took place last week because we recorded on Wednesday, so we had no clue uh, about everything that was going on. Uh, we thought they were, you know, we That's had Punk true, come yeah. out, not to go into a full recap of the, the segment, but we had Punk come out. He randomly called out Hangman uh, and then, you know, had a back and forth, you know, between him and Moxley. And, you know, they got into, you know, a huge brawl, which led to them announcing this match, you know, for this week, which felt out of nowhere. Uh, We both kind of assume since we're recording on Wednesday nights, like we're recording, you know, today on Wednesday, we kind of assume that that meant that maybe hangman was going to be involved in the match at all out that they would somehow inject him um and that you know was the reason why punk randomly called him out and that's why we had this match set up for the next week instead of you know the pay-per-view uh but that wasn't the case at all uh apparently punk went into business for himself uh he had some kind of beef with hangman over a promo that he cut uh, leading into their match at Double or Nothing. Uh, Hangman made a comment about workers' rights. I guess the week before, Punk was online really championing what, like, Sasha and Naomi did at WWE, you know, walking out Mm -hmm. of Raw. Um, But I guess Hangman was alluding to rumors of, uh, I guess, how Punk has treated Colt uh, Cabana in the back um, and possibly being the reason why Colt wasn't getting a contract offer from AEW. Uh, so you don't <laughs> but say that's not the case though. Colt actually <laughs> did get uh, a contract, but I guess he's going to be on the ROH side of things. So, but uh-huh. yeah, I, I don't think anyone's surprised by this behavior from punk. Um, I remember at the time, like, talking about that promo between the two of them and saying, like, it feels like they're really painting Punk as a heel. Well, I guess Punk wasn't part of that, though. <laughs> and Hangman, <laughs> at least in Punk's eyes, went into business for himself during that segment. Uh, Punk didn't appreciate that. He had a meeting with higher-ups about it. Uh, apparently wasn't satisfied with the results of that meeting. So then... During his return promo, he, you know, returned the favor, if you will, uh, for Hangman. Called him out for, you know, a fight, basically. But Hangman couldn't accept because he had no idea that it was even happening because he was in the back at catering, you know, having himself, you know, a salad. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, some seriously unprofessional bullshit right you know especially since it was hangman's mm-hmm. hometown and hangman is a baby face so you basically made him look like a coward um and that's if all this is true and i mean there's tons of sources saying that this is legit like this really did happen um so i guess i'm just an old wrestling fan so in my mind everything is a work but 
a lot of trusted sources are saying that's not the case here. Now they could eventually shoot themselves into a work, right? Um, that's happened plenty of times in the past. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, this was legitimate heat between Hangman and Punk. So all that being said, I still don't know why this match was made. S you know, especially since Hangman's not really involved in this. And it felt like a sure main event for All Out. And honestly, after that opening segment, I was like ready, all geared up for this match. So, I mean, we were both super surprised when they announced later on during Dynamite that this was going to actually take place the following week. Um, yeah. So we're like, oh, my God, they must have something huge planned or something, you know, like what's going on? But needless to say, we're kind of expecting this epic brawl, you know, between these two guys. Uh, but we got to the match and that's not what we got at all. Um, Moxley basically destroyed Punk. Um they played up Punk not being ready. He went for a kick. He fell down on the ground, um, holding his injured foot. Uh, and Moxley just took advantage of him, started to lay in those hammer and anvil elbows, uh, hit him with a couple Death Riders, and that was the fucking match. I mean, even though they were in Moxley's hometown, it was like the arena had the air sucked out of it. <laughs> um, the crowd didn't know how to respond. I didn't. Uh -huh. I didn't personally know how to respond. <laughs> um, and I have no idea where they're going with this. Moxley was parading around the ring while a bunch of officials were checking out Punk. Uh, they had to help Punk, you know, out of the ring and you know, up the ramp to the to the locker room. Uh, Punk looked back at Moxley while he was celebrating in the crowd. Um, man, like I, my jaw was on the ground through this entire yeah. thing. Like I was like, what the fuck just <laughs> happened? I mean, we've seen something similar with Punk, uh, you know, a couple months ago with Wardlow, where Wardlow pretty much destroyed Punk in the ring and only didn't get the win because MJF got way overzealous with him. Um, but this just felt different. Uh, I have no clue where they're going. Afterwards, they did nothing to set up, like, the main event for All Out. Like, they didn't give us any real clues on who Moxley would be facing at the pay-per-view. Which I thought we would at least have a better idea after the show. Especially since, like you said, we've got 10 days to All yes. Out at this point. Um just a very, like, unorthodox way of going about booking a pay-per-view. Um, I won't lie, that part is intriguing to me, and I'm kind of looking forward to see, like, how all this plays out. Um, but I still don't know why this happened. Because it, it feels I, like it. if Punk, it, if they're playing the injury angle with Punk, right, it's going to be mm -hmm. way too soon for him to be facing yes. against Moxley at all out. Right. Um, exactly what I was thinking. I was like, there's, you know, all my booking ideas would involve like a month more time. Yeah. Before the actual pay. -per -view. Yeah. It'd be one thing if they, if they were a month out from the pay-per-view. Yeah. Right. But there's literally 10 days left. <laughs> so I, now Meltzer has come out over the last week or so stating over and over again internally on the pay-per-view card 
they still have listed Punk versus Moxley. So take that with a grain of salt. Like, do we see a scenario where Punk somehow, like, you know, due to fighting spirit or whatever, ends up, you know, demanding a title shot against Moxley and we see him going over Moxley in Chicago? Because it just seems insane that you wouldn't have Punk on this card, especially since it's in Chicago, unless, you know, maybe he is legitimately hurt. And maybe he wasn't ready to go, and they just wanted to kind of take the interim off of Moxley's title reign. So they had Punk come out here, do a quick one-minute match, basically handing over his belt and unifying those titles. So then Moxley is going into All Out as the undisputed champion. I don't know. It just... It, that just feels like such an asinine way to go about things. Like, I feel like Moxley has done enough with his title run, even with the interim, like, hanging over his reign. Um, you know, I mean, he's kind of made people forget about that asterisk because the reign has been so good. Like, all his matches have been mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, he's coming off a super hot match he had with uh, Jericho at the uh, Quake at the Lake, right? Uh, but I don't know. Like, so it feels like... Th- the time would have been better spent setting someone else up to face a, face off against Moxley at the pay-per-view instead of like hot-shotting some kind of angle last minute to sell, you know, the show. But once again, like I love how unpredictable all this is too. So <laughs> there's that. Um, and maybe Tony feels like the people who are going to buy the pay-per-view are going to buy the pay-per-view regardless um, and that he's got enough on the show to, you know, hook those people. Um, and maybe he's got a huge match in his pocket, you know, to announce next week that will get people excited. Honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't end up doing something where the winner of the ladder match at All Out ends up getting the title shot in the main event of the same pay-per-view. You know, facing off against Moxley. And maybe you have Punk... You know, on one leg, dragging himself out there to a rabid, like, Chicago crowd, um, you know, and winning that match to get his rematch against Moxley. I mean, yeah, that gives him a big heroes, like, moment there. I just, I, I, I guess the only way I could see that working is if he does get, if he does get the title match that same night, it's another two minute match where he just happens to catch you know, Moxley off guard. Why you do you know? feel like it needs to be a two minute match? Because if Moxley is good to go, I don't believe Moxley loses to a one legged man. You know, that is true. <laughs> that is true. Who's been through a ladder match previously in the same night. Yeah, but I also don't want to be cheapened by some kind of fluke pin or something like that. Like, I'd much rather have it be like a hero's journey where Punk has to overcome the odds and, you know, beat Moxley in some kind of epic brawl. I mean, it is wrestling, so I'm able to suspend my disbelief because I've done it numerous times in the past, (laughs) over the last 40 years. So um, that wouldn't bother me so much. It just, I mean, I don't know, man. It just feels so weird. Like, I have no Mm -hmm. idea what they're doing. Um, There's rumors that MJF is supposed to be returning soon. Uh at every one of these, you know, ladder matches that they do. What the hell's the official name of the ladder match, Christian? It's literally, it's called the Casino Ladder Why match. is it called That's the Casino the- Ladder Match if it's not at uh, Double or Nothing? 
because everything is casino when it comes to big matches for Sam. Is this the one with the giant chip, the poker chip hanging above the ring? I guess so, yeah. Wasn't there a casino battle royal? Too right. Yeah, there is. There, this all their multi-man matches are casino. I hate. I, I hate these gimmick matches. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's gotta have a fucking name with uh, uh-huh. Tony. But anyway, there's always a surprise entry into the match, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 wild card or the Joker, right? Do we have MJF come out as the Joker, and then he faces off against Moxley for the title? But once again, that's all predicated on them announcing that that match is going to set up who Moxley faces off against in the main event. So. Uh-huh. I just, I've never liked same day, like double matches. Like, you know, oh, they won a match early on in the show. And now they have to go up against for the, the title of their choosing. So it's not the way I want it to go, mm-hmm. but I could see MJF showing up um, in some capacity, if not the latter match. I don't know. I, I feel like this scenario makes more sense if Punk had the title. And when it originally came out earlier this week that MGF would be returning soon, that's kind of the fantasy booking I was, you know, doing in my head that, oh, well, Punk will beat Moxley, you know, this week on Dynamite. He'll go to the pay-per-view, you know, with the belt, and then MGF will come out, and that's how he earns his way into a title shot against uh, Punk. Uh, but I, I definitely didn't have that happening at all out <laughs> at the time. Um, but now with only a week left, it's really hard to set up like a, a match for the title, you know, that's going to have any real steam behind it. Yeah. Um, unless I feel like you do some kind of weird gimmick thing like this. Um, we'll see. I mean, Tony is a pretty creative booker, so maybe he's got something up his sleeve. I just have no clue what that could possibly be. <laughs> as long as they have a clue. Yeah, as long as they have an idea, we're not just, you know, booking on the fly, then I'll be fine. Yeah, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if we don't wake up Thursday morning and we find out there's a lot more behind this story at this point. So um, not that we know anything, but it just it just all feels so bizarre. Mm hmm. By the way, there's still like another 55 minutes left on this card somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of it was filled with backstage moments like we had one with Christian Cage talking about Jungle Boy and accepting his challenge for the pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, speaking of steam, I feel like this whole program's lost a lot of steam over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Maybe they started a little too early, but I don't know. I'm not too excited for this match. I, I still feel like Luchasaurus is going to end up turning on Jungle Boy at the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Because they have to make sense of that weird heel turn. Um, and Christian kind of alludes to outsmarting Jungle Boy. So mm-hmm. that makes me feel like, you know, he's playing, you know, chess while Jungle Boy is playing checkers. And that that's going to be like, you know, the card he has up his sleeve. I just hope it's not a situation where people are reading into it into that so much or noticing it so much that they're like oh well we'll just not do it you know just swerve them uh, tony tony's not afraid of doing the predictable storyline like as long mm-hmm. as it makes sense story-wise where if this was vince booking yeah i could definitely see that happening because we've seen it happen in the past where he feels like oh ever they're on to us so let's just swerve them for swerving sake 
as we continue to build things here for All Outs, uh, Ricky Starks came out, had a passionate speech about, you know, his friendship with Hobbs and how it all kind of fell apart and then proceeds to challenge him to a match at All Out. I'm really excited for this match. Starks has just been off the chain with this promos. He's really leveled up in my eyes. Uh, I don't want this to be a one-off match. I want them to work like a full program where they both end up shining at the end. Because so far, everything that we've gotten from this angle has just been pitch perfect. I mean, this has this has to be like one of the best booked like angles they've got going right now. Um, and it's, you know, super simple and to the point. Like, I really do hope that after this, they have somewhere to go with them. And, you know, like either Hobbs goes after the, you know, uh, the TNT title or you have, you know, Ricky doing something with another bigger name. You know, they both need to feel elevated after this. I agree 100 percent. It would be deservingly so. So, I mean, I don't want to see Hobbs in the background of being someone's like heavy again. Like, I want to see him front and center and being one of the top heels. I think he actually I believe he might be number one contender right now um, on their uh, standings. Not that they mean anything anymore. (laughs) 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 but i I, i'd love to see starks like holding like legitimate gold by the end of the year so i agree 100 percent uh we also had one more backstage moment before our main event with john moxley pretty much you know getting in everyone's face and saying oh this isn't what you expected and i'm still the best kind of you know uh aligning a lot of uh john cena mannerisms into his speech yeah right yeah it's the time is now right what what does he say uh Uh, my time is right yeah my time yeah okay Yeah, I mean, this was the moment where I was expecting to find out, like, who he would be facing at All Out, but that didn't happen at all. This was just Moxley being insane and ranting. I was like, okay, (laughs) where the fuck are we going, Tony? (laughs) What's happening? Of course, they always go through what's coming up next on the show. We had uh, Brian Danielson versus Jake Hager for next week. We also have Tony Storm and Sheeta going up against Britt Baker and Hater next week, of course. Gotta have that classic tag team rivalry. And then they went through the current all-out card, which has Brian Danielson versus Jericho. We have the trios finals, the interim women's world championship uh, with Tony Storm, Britt Baker, and Jamie Hater and Sheeta. Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage, FTR and Wardlow versus Jay Lethal and the Motor City and the Motor City Machine Guns. We have the Casino Ladder Match uh, and Swerve in Our Glory going up against the Acclaimed, along with Ricky Starks versus Powerhouse Hobbs. So yeah, we've got eight matches, uh, and that's without the main event actually being announced for the card uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, I guess they haven't made Athena versus Jade official. But I mean, I, yes, you, nah. you've got to have the TBS title defended. I'm hoping that doesn't mm. end up being like a buy-in match. All right. Well, for your main event, we had the Trios Championship Tournament. Uh, they had a little video package right before that uh, showing you what happened with Kenny Omega. And then Kent, and then Don Callis came out, of course, to talk about this. I will give them props. I like the fact that they're highlighting the bigger moments that happened the week previously. Um, they need to do a better job of curating their own history um nowadays we consume so much content that all these you know fantastic matches and storylines and moments can kind of get lost in the shuffle of everything 
if you don't like constantly remind people like why this match or moment was such a big deal. Um, they just need to do a better job of that. And I feel like they've been doing that of late. Well, it was especially it was a good moment to have because Kenny hadn't been on the show at all at this point. Yes. too. You know, yes. That was your biggest moment last week. One of them, at least. Yes. Yes. And that's another thing, like just hyping up your main events, you know, like throughout mm. the show, they could do a lot more of it but they've been doing better lately. But with that said, we have the United Empire defeating Death Triangle. Uh, United Empire, for those of you that don't know, is Will Ospreay, Mark Davis, and Kyle Fletcher going up against Pac, Penta, El Zero, and Ray Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, this match was everything that you expected, and then some. Um, Ospreay is just an off-the-chart talent. Uh, I love watching every moment that he was in the ring with Pac, I think this match did a lot to establish what the trio's division could be in AEW. Uh, it'll be cool to see like the Bucks and Kenny try to outdo what we got here tonight, but I'm sure they're going to pull it off somehow, uh, especially knowing that we're going to see fucking Kenny Omega and uh, Osprey in the same ring together yes. next week is pretty fucking amazing. But this was exactly why I was excited for our trios division. So, I mean, give me more matches like this. I, I would love to see other trios come in from outside of the company and, you know, fight for the title once this tournament is done with. Um, and dear God, Tony, give us Osprey versus Pack. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the, like, they teased, you know, Pac going against Kip. Uh, we finally got that revealed during this match, you know, that Kip is the dude wearing the box. It's, like, the worst kept secret of all time. I mean, the, that whole gimmick lasted, like, almost a year, I think, which... It's, it was way over. I it was over don't a year, under, I don't understand <laughs> what the point was. Uh -huh. Like, maybe a month or two, but... A year, like what the fuck? I'm sure that's going to be a fantastic match too. Uh, wherever that ends up taking place, like I was honestly thinking maybe that would be it all out. But looking at the card, I mean they're pretty fucking packed. So um, who knows? No pun intended. Yes. <laughs> no pun intended, Christian. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's going to be a shame that Death Triangle won't be on the card unless they involve them in the uh, casino ladder match, which I could see them doing at least one or two of them. I mean, you've got to have, like, Phoenix in there, right? Any type of chaotic match, you know, the Lucha Brothers are going to, you know, excel. <laughs> Could we possibly see the Elite eliminate the United Empire next week? And that frees up Osprey to have a match against Pac at All Out. Um, maybe you have, like, a three-way between, you know, Pac, Osprey, and uh, Kip. It's possible, but I don't think that's where they're going. You know, I, I feel like if they're going to do Pack versus Osprey as a solo match, it's going to be that's what they, you know, set up. It's not going to be a three way. I just feel like if you can get Osprey on the fucking card, you get Osprey on the fucking card. <laughs> if that's possible. Agree, yeah. uh, maybe you put him in the, you know, the ladder match. But I mean, maybe he's booked. Who knows? Maybe, you know, he's busy doing something else for New Japan. Um, but if there's a chance that you can get Osprey in Chicago, you get Osprey in fucking Chicago. Afterwards, we did have the Elite come out and have kind of a stare down with the United Empire uh, to end the show. I don't know. It, it felt a little flat to me. I would have liked to at least see the guys kind of brawl or something. And it didn't help. That's kind of where we ended last week also. I think they're just still pushing that like Kenny is 
is kind of a little bit more of a loose cannon right now than the Young Bucks. At least it seemed from that moment where the Young Bucks are very reserved where Kenny wants to go yeah, in. Yeah, but if he's a loose if he's a loose cannon, then have him run out in the ring and attack Osprey. I just I just feel like there's going to be turmoil between the three of them. Between the Bucks and Kenny? And Kenny, Oh, yes. so you think that's planting seeds for something? Yeah. Maybe. I still feel like they're walking away with those trios titles, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a given. But you think maybe down the line? Mm, See, I think I they're feel, just planting I, cracks. I feel like they're going to jump it'll be too soon to have someone else turn on the bucks after cole just did it though (laughs) you know i feel like if they do that that's going to be months out because i feel like once cole's clear like that's the first program they go into you know Uh defending those trio belts against you know the undisputed error but i guess we'll just have to wait and see Either way, I'm incredibly excited for next week. Uh, If anyone can outdo uh, Death Triangle, it's definitely the Elite, right? Like, if anyone can come up with more spots, it's the Young Bucks. (laughs) Christian, I just looked ahead at the spoilers for Rampage. Uh, When the show drops, Rampage will already be in the books. But uh, it does look like Dark Order ended up pulling off the upset against the House of Black. uh, Never doubted them. With the help of Miro, which we kind of predicted. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Dark Order is advancing. The team consisted of 10 Reynolds and Silver. Uh, Evil Uno is in Germany hyping up the uh, video game release, I guess. There's some kind of convention or something going on, Christian? Yeah, Gamescom. I just talked about it. Okay. Okay, apparently I wasn't listening. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I 100% still feel like the finals is going to end up being Dark Order versus the Elite uh, with somehow Hangman uh, representing the Dark Order. Maybe, you know, 10 gets injured or something like that. Uh, So it just feels like where that story is, you know, headed. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see at the pay-per-view. But as we've been saying, like all all wrestling talk long it's it's all just going to come down to next week like what they you know present us with if there's going to be a main event at all (laughs) (laughs) all out at this point but regardless of how unorthodox the booking of the world title scene has been over the last couple weeks i'm still really intrigued to see exactly what they have in store for the pay-per-view because like i said i have no clue what they're doing yeah i, I want to stay optimistic i want to believe that they have a plan but you know no 100 percent. no i i agree I, and i am optimistic for the most part um because i can't imagine tony booking himself into a corner like this without a plan you know something that could possibly top like punk and moxley um I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? 
Well, next week, we're going to be breaking down episode three of Marvel She-Hulk, and we'll also be reviewing and we'll also be reviewing episode two of House of the Dragon. Plus, we're previewing AEW's All Out. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Dragons do not do well in captivity. How do you know this? That's what I do. I drink and I know things.